Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. When we moved here in 1995 to Colorado Springs, right around the corner from our house was a couple in the church. He was an elder, had two kids about the ages of our kids. It was Scott and Anel Price. And we got to be really good friends, spent many Sunday nights at their house having uh, soup and toasted cheese sandwiches, Friday night movie nights with um, popcorn. And, and then Scott retired from the Army and tried a couple businesses and things that, that really didn't grab his heart until God put on his heart that he needed to do something for the kingdom. And so they began this process of just pursuing God and, and going through it uh, one door at a time. And they were first going to go to Eritrea, Africa, which they'd never heard of before. I think the country's been renamed now. But there was some unrest there, and they relocated them to Tanzania. So they arrived in Tanzania, and Scott didn't have time to share the whole story, but for the first year, they cried a lot because they said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but we need to do something. And you can tell now, after 15 years, 50 churches, hundreds of people baptized, that if they hadn't gone, what wouldn't be done in Africa right now? And I'm just wondering who that next couple is, who that next individual is in our church. Um, And hopefully there's dozens and dozens of us who are asking the same question. God, what do you want me to do? i got to do something. I know you didn't leave me here just to go to church services. It's bigger than that. And so today, maybe today we'll light a fire as we talk about um, this subject, wonderful words. Words are powerful. We've learned from the book of Proverbs that in the tongue is life and death. And sometimes we can speak words that can change the trajectory of a person's life forever. Sometimes we can say words that really wound someone that takes a whole lifetime to uh, resolve. Sometimes we speak words that kind of echo through generations. For example, there are many quotes you've probably heard growing up that that have been spoken sometimes hundreds if not thousands of years ago, and yet we still um, learn from these very potent words. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. To err is human, to forgive is divine. Necessity is the mother of invention. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish and you feed him for a lifetime. We all probably know this one. The pen is mightier than the what? The sword. I love that one because that really is what we've been talking about, that the pen, which is used to convey words, is more powerful than the the weapon of the sword, that the words we speak really are powerful. And we have the possibility with the words we speak to lead someone into an eternal relationship with the living God. Bill Hybels, who's a pastor of a large church in Chicago, Illinois, called Willow Creek Community Church, says, based on my experience, most people who wind up in the kingdom of God can trace their salvation back to a single life-changing conversation with a Christ follower. The reason is because the most important words you'll ever speak are ones that bring people closer to Jesus. The most important words, wonderful words, powerful words that can lead someone a step, maybe several steps closer to Jesus. And most of us don't take seriously that responsibility we have to lead people to Jesus with our words. We think it's the job of the pastor, the job of the teacher, the job of the missionary. They're professionals that do it, but me, I'm just an average person. But when we look around the world and see all the people that don't know Jesus, and sometimes we can get angry and say, God, what about those people in Africa that have never heard about you? 
How can they go to an eternal place of torment? How come they don't get the chance to hear about you? What are you going to do about that? And as the song says, God already did something about that. He made you. He made me. And we're here today to be equipped to be those kind of people that can make a difference. So I want to talk to you today about wonderful words and overcoming sometimes the barriers, the fears, the hindrances that keep us from doing that. And we're going to look at a passage from the book of Colossians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Colossians chapter 4. And uh, let's pray before we read that scripture today. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the word of God. And we ask, Lord, that you speak to us today through the words that Paul wrote so many years ago, that they would encourage us that they would remove our fears, that they would prepare us in creating us an an eagerness to share Jesus with others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the book of Colossians. Now, Paul wrote this book. By the way, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was um, a man who grew up in the Jewish faith, and he experienced a miraculous encounter with Jesus when he surrendered his life to Christ. And not only surrendered his life, he became the primary spokesperson for the gospel. So he traveled around preaching about Jesus in all kinds of cities and began to plant churches. And he got thrown into prison for doing it. And while in prison, he wrote some letters. He wrote the book called Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians and this book, Colossians. And here's what he writes to the church in Colossae. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Three keys in this passage for learning to share our faith more effectively. If you've got a bulletin, you might fill in the notes here. The first one is to seek divine assistance. Because the very first thing that Paul says is to pray. To pray. And it's interesting that this man who's the possibly one of the most gifted evangelists of all time, one of the most powerful uh, leaders and church planners of all time, when you ask Paul, what's the secret of your success? He would go back to this. People praying for me. I needed divine assistance to do what I was doing. And so he says, devote yourself to prayer, be watchful and thankful. When you're watchful or you're alert, there's there's a defensive posture that you take Like when you're driving, most of us drive fairly defensively. We look for potholes. We look for children in the street. Um, You know, we look for danger. If you ride a motorcycle, you're even more defensive because, you you know, things can happen very quickly. And so you're, you're very alert. You're in the defensive posture. But I would say this, that if you drive in a sports car, you tend to be in the offensive mode. Not that you're offensive to people around. You might be. But you're in the offensive mode in that you can't wait to pass that guy. You can't wait to get moving forward. So you're looking for opportunities. And when you're watchful, you look for both. You look for the dangers and the opportunities. And as we pray, we say, God, I I know there's dangers out there in this whole process of sharing you with other people. There's dangers out there, but there's opportunities. I want to take advantage of those opportunities, and I can through prayer. Because one of the barriers that keeps us from sharing our faith is the perception that I don't know who to share with. People around me, they don't want to hear about Jesus, or my parents, they're closed-minded. You know, I tried one time with that guy, and he shut me down. And so all, all we see are walls that go up. So the first thing Paul says, pray for open doors. Pray for open. Pray that God may open a door for our message, he says. Open doors are simply opportunities to share Jesus Christ. And while people may put up walls, 
God specializes in cutting doors. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even realize it. I'm putting up my wall. I don't want to hear about God. And God says, oh, that's okay. I'm cutting a door right here. And uh, allows you and me to be the ones that get to go through that door to share. And so how do they get created? In response to prayer. There may be someone in your life that needs to hear about Jesus. And you're frustrated that they don't know. Are you praying for open doors for yourself and for someone else? Pray for open doors that God would allow us a chance to talk with them. Several years ago, our church was hosting an event called Friend Day. And we had some neighbors that we'd moved in next to. Their names were Carl and Bonnie. They didn't go to church anywhere. And I'd been burdened to invite them to come and be my friend on Friend Day. I wanted to get them to come to church. But, you know, even though I'm a pastor, I'm like the rest of you. I'm a little nervous just kind of cold turkey telling people about church and about Jesus. And so I was uh, praying for that right opportunity, that open door to share. And so that morning, um, I prayed, said, God, I pray that you open a door. And sometime later today, I'm going to go over there and invite them to come to church. So that morning, I'm getting ready to go off to work at the church. And when I go outside, Bonnie, the neighbor lady, is outside. She's getting in her car as well. She's getting ready to drive off somewhere. And she rolls her window down, and we wave to each other, and she says, I'm Darren. What time does church start at your place? We're thinking of coming Sunday. And I thought, I didn't even get to ask her. It's, it's almost as if God got frustrated with me saying, you're not going to ask her, so I'm just going to have her ask you. Um, but boom, there I was. And I thought, man. That was fast. Tomorrow I get to go to the Broadmoor. There's a group called Unigroup that um, they oversee a lot of moving companies like Mayflower and United Van Lines. And so they've asked if a pastor could come and do the opening prayer for their annual convention. You know, when I was asked to do that, I thought, you know, I don't want to come and be that token religious guy that comes and does a prayer and everyone goes and messes around and, and lives a lifestyle that doesn't even please God. I said, I... I really don't want to do that, but I said, if the leaders truly want God's blessing on this, if that's what they really want, and they want to live or conduct their business according to his principles, then I would be glad to come and offer this. Well, the lady that's in charge says, well, the company's not a Christian company. It's not like Chick-fil-A or, or Hobby Lobby, but the people in it that are in the executive positions place a high value on, on faith. And they want their business to serve people well. They want to pray that their um, truck drivers are safe on the road. They want to operate in a good, godly way. So they always have a pastor come and pray. They actually had me write out my prayer. And I I sent it in, and the lady came back. I don't think the lady's even a Christian. She says, wow, that's a great prayer. Yeah, if you just pray that, that would be great. So I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. And I'm looking forward to some opportunities to interact with people um, at the Broadmoor. I've, I've never actually been inside at the Rome around there, so I might just kind of wander the hallways while I'm over there praying for open doors. <laughs> okay, we, also, uh, we also pray for the right words, the right words. He says, pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should, meaning the gospel. One of the most terrifying things, I think one of the biggest barriers that keeps us from sharing our faith is, I don't know what to say. And I'm just going to be bumbling over a bunch of stuff. I have no clue what to say. And so we get all frustrated with that. Or we get frustrated thinking, if they ask me one question that I can't answer, I'm going to be so humiliated and embarrassed. So I'm not even going to expose myself to that danger. But I want to say something to that because I've been there before. But what I've found is that when I'm worried about my presentation, when I'm worried about my reputation, I'm worried about me. 
And when I've shifted the focus from me to the Lord, it, it removes a lot of that stress. My job isn't to protect me or my reputation. My job is to present Jesus and, and put the spotlight on him. And God says that he will give us the words to speak in those times where we don't know exactly what to say. In the book of Luke, Jesus is telling his disciples as they go out and preach. He says, you're going to bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I will give you words. Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Jesus says, I will give you words. God will give you the right thing to say. God will, God will sometimes amaze you to where when you're done, you'll walk away saying, I don't know where that came from. I, never, I don't know why that entered into my mind at that moment to say those things, but I did. But I think if you surrender yourself and make yourself a vessel for him and say, God, I really want to speak the words that come from you, I believe so often God comes through and does that. Another fear we have has to do with my own trepidation. And that's why we pray for inner courage. Inner courage. In, a, in another book that Paul wrote while, I, while in prison, the book, of, or excuse me, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, Paul is writing and he's encouraging people to pray. He says to be alert, pray always. And then he says this in verse 19 of chapter 6. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me. There it is again. So that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Fearlessly. Not just make it known, but I will have courage to make it known. God, I need your courage. I thought Paul was a pretty courageous guy, but he's praying for courage here. And if Paul needs courage, you and I sure could use courage. Because there are times we go into environments where people are opposed. That's why I think sometimes we play it safe and say, I'm just going to talk about God. Everybody's okay with God because they have their own definition of God. So if I just say, you know, I believe in God, well, yeah, a lot of people believe in various gods. But it gets a little more uncomfortable when you talk about Jesus. When you talk about Jesus Christ, you're talking about a specific person who did something pretty amazing, dying on a cross and rising from the dead. And people get kind of squeamish when you talk about Jesus. They'll even tell you, you can pray, but don't pray in Jesus' name. Just pray to God, you know, because it's safe. But when you focus on Jesus, it can get uncomfortable. And that's why you need courage to be able to testify and, and keep focused on who he is. There's times when I was in high school, when I first became a Christian, I was called on to share my story of how I became a Christian before the church. You know, I, at first I used to get really afraid to do that, but the more I, I did it, I got more and more comfortable because I could just focus on Jesus and who he did. And I no longer was ashamed because I loved Jesus so much. I was not ashamed to share him with others. Pray, seek divine assistance. Another big thing Paul does in this passage is he encourages us to seize daily opportunities. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. One of the fears we have uh, is, um, in order to share my faith, I must be like the people that go and knock on doors. And I grew up in a culture where people would come around quite often on Saturday mornings, knock on your door, They'd have a suit and tie on. They'd have some books and literature in their hands, and they'd start to talk. And while at that time in the 60s, 70s, it was kind of acceptable, it's not very acceptable anymore. We don't like strangers coming up to our door that we know nothing about trying to peddle their religious views. Not that they're necessarily uh, right or wrong or they're bad, though I think there's a lot of them that are, that are, are, are false religions. The, the problem is we have no relationship with them. 
the, the opportunities you and I will encounter will be more like this. Talking with a neighbor across the fence. Talking with another kid at lunch, at school or after school. Talking with another coworker in our work environment. It's opportunities that are afforded to us in the daily flow of life. Quite often it may be while you're just doing business. You go to the bank, you go to the hair salon, or you go to the gym. Or maybe it's when you're taking care of your kids and you go to, go to their soccer game or their band concert and you're sitting next to other people that God will give you opportunities to share with people. Now some people, as they become Christians, have done something that I think is very detrimental to their ability to share words that point people to Christ. They withdraw. There's this view of the world's bad, I've come out of the world, therefore I'm going to shun everything about the world. And so we, we don't want to be tainted by worldly views. We don't want to be pulled back into it. So we, we cut ourselves off. We surround ourselves with Christian music, Christian TV, Christian um, friends. Everything around us is Christian. Now, those things can all be good and have a part. But what happens is we pull ourselves out of all those unchurched relationships. And the, the fact is, and this is, this is just documented in many ways, the first, um, when you first become a Christian, you have the most unchurched relationships you'll ever have then. And from there, it goes downhill very fast. You start to distance yourself from those relationships to where you get to a place that many of us who've been in the church for decades look around and everybody we know is a Christian. So we don't have very many opportunities because we put ourselves in this Christian bubble. I think withdrawing from the culture can be very detrimental. I think it's... it's Difficult if we pull our kids out from every influence that's worldly. We've got to protect them, but we have to prepare them to deal with the world so they can, they can be the ones influencing the world. Now, there's a danger on the other side. You can withdraw or you can be um, fully immersed in it. And there are many people who say, oh, because I want to reach the world, I need to become like the world. I, I know a pastor who, um, he has his business meetings, his church business meetings at Smoker Friendly. And they smoke cigars, they have a beer, and he says, I want to be, you know, we're no different than everybody else, and so we're just becoming like them. He even asked his elders if he could have permission to use the F-bomb in a sermon because it was part of a story he wanted to tell, and they said, no, you're crossing the line. And he said, hey, I just want to be real with people. Well, there's a place where you have to be very careful. We're crossing a line. Um, We are to love the world, and yet the Bible at the same time says not to become like the world. We have to be able to identify with the world without linking ourselves with all the patterns and practices of the world. We, we adapt in the church a lot of practices that are worldly practices, like technology. And people sometimes say, oh, that church has become real worldly. They're doing all this technological stuff. They have a light show and they have a band and all. Hey, we're just, we don't want people walking in saying, man, this feels like I just walked into an Amish community. It's just so out of touch with technology and modern culture. You know, you've got to keep up with culture in a lot of things. With those, and most things are, are amoral. You know, technology isn't good or bad by itself. It's how you use it. So we want to keep up with the things. But we, we want to separate ourselves from the principles of the world, but love the people of the world. Okay, does that make sense? Separate from the principles of the world, but love the people of the world. The true mark of spirituality is not isolation, but penetration of the world. Jesus demonstrated that. Jesus left a perfect, godly environment in heaven, came down in what was called the incarnation, took on a body, took on human form, walked among men. Yet Jesus never committed a sin in his life, 
never adapted to the principles of the world, and yet he penetrated it and made a difference in it. So Jesus went around this world. He immersed himself among people without compromising his own values. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. He talked to people other religious people would never talk to. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. Jesus was criticized for what he did. Even Paul was criticized for being so accommodating to Gentiles. So we have to penetrate the culture in love. And we have a common need that they have. The common need is that we are people in need of forgiveness and grace. Someone has said, sharing our faith is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Or one filthy kid to another filthy kid where to get a free bath. That's all we're doing. Here's what I found, and here's what I want you to know. That's why Jesus says we are like the light of the world. The light can penetrate the darkness. But you know what? A light doesn't do any good. You don't turn a light on in the bright of day. A light shines best when it's dark, and we will shine our lights best in the places of darkness. And so we have to be in the darkness in order to shine the light. But we have to be real careful because you have to be strong enough to know that, that I can withstand the culture. You have to go with the right motives that I am doing this for the Lord so I don't go in already set to compromise. Because there have been people who, as Christians, have put themselves in an environment. They have pulled right back into their old lifestyle. I've known Christians sometimes who have practiced what's called missionary dating. You know, I love this boy. He's not a Christian, but I'm going to win him to the Lord. And what happens is your love gets all mixed in with this and your relationship and you cross boundaries and you realize this person doesn't share the faith that I share. Now we're in this very awkward spot where we, we do love each other, but we don't share a common faith. Sometimes it works. Sometimes dating will bring someone to the Lord, but more often than not, it doesn't. It doesn't. So we have to be real cautious of that. Engaging in the world will create discomfort and tension. You'll be uncomfortable. I'm just being real honest with you. If you go into an environment, if you go to your school, you're a Christian kid, it's going to be uncomfortable when you start bringing up the subject of Jesus or you invite people to come to the youth group. Or if you're in a work environment and you say, hey, can I pray for you? And someone says, no, I don't believe in prayer. And you're going to feel a little uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. You might not be the one that's uncomfortable. You might make them uncomfortable. They may be saying, yeah, you're, you're just too much into Jesus. Back off. And so you're the one that's creating the discomfort. And the discomfort might not be just from non-Christians. It may be from Christians. Some of the most uncomfortable people around Jesus were the very religious people who had their own idea of how God should function, who had their own idea of boundaries. Some of the fiercest criticism against Christians oftentimes comes from Christians who don't like the way they're trying to reach people for Christ. And so sometimes churches will look down the road at another church and say, you know what, that church is compromising. That church is becoming so worldly. They've got a rock band in there. You know, I've got a friend who's a pastor of a church in Omaha, and his church band actually plays a secular song at the start of every service. Now, I think that's kind of unusual to come to a worship service and have a popular top, you know, top 10 song being played. But his, what he wants the, the people that come to his church to feel is, is they can identify with the world and, and recognize, hey, that's some of the language I'm used to. Not filthy language, just that's the culture they've they grown up in. And so they say, hey, that church speaks my language, and that they'll be more open to hearing about Jesus. There, there's a church in California, excuse me, Nevada, 
that when there's a big fight, pay-per-view fight, they'll actually pipe it into their church and invite people to come in and watch it at their church. And they're reaching um, wrestlers and fighters in their community. There are, there are churches that do a lot of things different than the way we would do it. And it causes criticism, causes tension. And so um, we adapt those things and we say, I, I want to, well, like Paul said, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might reach some. Some churches are turned off by drama and laughter in church. Church shouldn't be a place where people laugh. It's serious stuff. It's life and death stuff. And so, you know, we don't like that because we like to laugh at our church. Uh, you know, I know a church that actually has a coffee bar in their church building. Oh, that's us, okay? <laughs> Why do churches? Because that's the culture we live in. You know, it's not necessarily good or bad unless the coffee's good or bad. But see, we want to reach people that are far from God and we're willing to adapt things without compromising our values. And I think, you know, the bottom line is this. Before you criticize another church or ministry for how they're doing it, to ask, what's the fruit? Really, what's the fruit? Are they truly leading people to Jesus? And if they are, I don't really argue against how they're doing it. I really don't. Dwight L. Moody was a famous evangelist. He used to travel all over the world preaching. And one time a lady came up to him and says, uh, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you're doing evangelism. And he says, well, ma'am, how do you do evangelism? She says, I don't. He said, okay. He says, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. And if you're doing it better, then you teach the rest of us. But if you're not doing it, don't criticize those that are doing it. Because more, more often than not, their heart is very true. They truly want to bring people to Jesus. And oftentimes they're doing it in very unique ways. Look for those opportunities. Seize them. And then the third principle he brings up in this passage is to season your conversation. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We like food that's seasoned, and the most popular seasoning, you see it on every table, is salt. Now, sometimes, most time, pepper too, but salt is, in our culture, is the universal seasoning. Everything tastes a little better with salt, even our, even, uh, our watermelon, tomatoes, everything. You know, we put salt on, like, everything. And so, salt creates uh, more hunger. And he says, season, season it with grace. Grace is the kind of thing that people are hungry for. Grace, grace is something when people taste that they want more of it. And so he kind of runs with this food analogy, and I want to use this food analogy for a little bit because I think it's, it's a powerful analogy. Friday night, my son and I went out for barbecue at a place called Dickie's Barbecue, and we walk in there, and as soon as we walk in, my son smells this smoky flavor, and he goes, man, I can smell the brisket, and uh, I can't wait to eat. Already, we haven't even gotten food on the plate, and we are getting prepared. The, the, the saliva glands are starting to run, and you know, we're just getting primed to eat because of the smell. And you know Thanksgiving. You walk into Grandma's house or Mom's house on Thanksgiving Day. You open up the door. There's fresh-baked biscuits. There's pumpkin pie. There's turkey. You're smelling all that stuff. Doesn't it prepare you? You say, can't wait. Can't wait to get my teeth sunk in that stuff. The aroma's killing me because it's making me so hungry for it. Well, in sharing our faith, there's a sense in which the seasoning um, actually prepares people for the message because the seasoning is, creates an aroma. And the aroma when we share with people is our presence. That before you ever speak a word, 
Your physical presence begins to send a message to people, begins to communicate to people. Who you are precedes what you have to say. And before you can share good news, you must be good news. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, how how can people hear, or how can people call in Jesus when they've never heard of him? And how can people hear about Jesus if nobody ever tells them? And how how can anybody ever tell someone about Jesus if they've never been sent? And then he quotes this verse from Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Man, you got sweet feet, brother. Coming over the mountains. And when I see you, it's like, wow, you're bringing good news. Your presence precedes the message. You know, the, the beautiful feet come before the beautiful words. And so when we come into someone's presence, they're gonna say, you know what? I know that you're a lazy bum. I know that you're a cheat. I know that you're rude to people. I don't, I don't want to hear what you have to say. But if your presence is one of, you know what, I see how you act to people. I see your graciousness. I see your love. I'll listen to you. Your presence is the aroma. And whether you're a student at school, a coworker, a neighbor, your lifestyle is already preaching a message. Now, we need to do more than just do the lifestyle part, but the lifestyle does preach a message. It prepares people. It's the aroma before the meal. Joseph Aldrich, in a book called Lifestyle Evangelism, says the Christian family in a community is the ultimate evangelistic tool. When someone looks at your house and says, you know what, that couple really loves each other. They're different. You know what, those parents and kids really get along. You know, they don't fight all the time. There's no yelling. Why, Why is that? Why are they different? It's a powerful evangelistic tool because it's not normal. It's not normal. So you get the aroma of your presence, and then the message is the meal. The message, what you share, is the meal. You know, I've really taken the whole sermon to get to this point. Because at some point, you have to share words. All this praying and all this seizing of opportunities and all this just being physically present and showing love leads to a place at some point we have to share words. And yet the words we share are in the context of what Paul says is a conversation. Let your conversation always be seasoned with salt. Conversation. The opportunities you and I will have most of the time will not be in front of a church like on a, in a podium like I'm doing here. It, it won't be in front of a class. It'll be one-on-one. It'll be a conversation with someone else where you'll be opening your heart and trying to connect with their heart. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, another letter that Paul wrote while in prison, Paul writes to this man named Philemon, and he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The sharing of your faith. You need to share your faith. And you do that through words. Through words. Don't worry about it being polished. Focus on making it personal. Personal. So here's a way you can share. If you're thinking, I don't know what to share with people. I don't know what to talk about. Well, do this. Just focus on on three stories. First, my story. My story. Because nobody can argue with your story. This is who I used to be. I used to be this kind of person. I used to have a horrible temper. I used to be a a real sleazy person. I used to be very broken inside. I I don't know. I used to be addicted to um, meth or alcohol, you know, pornography. This is who I used to be. And then I found Jesus and surrendered my life to him and found myself forgiven and cleansed. and, And here's who I am now. And I'm so different than who I used to be. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm different. I'm I've been set free. I'm not dealing with shame and brokenness and pain like I used to. And so that's my story. There's something powerful about a, a person's testimony. When you hear someone's story, uh, 
there's something that happens inside that says, oh, I want that for me too. And so you share with your story. And then you share God's story. You know, people have misconceptions about God and they think God is so distant. But God, God is reaching down to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know what Jesus did for us? Jesus lived a life we could never live. He lived perfectly. He lived obediently to God. And yet because of that, Jesus was able to take upon himself the guilt for our sins. And the Bible says that he was nailed to a cross for our sins, that he was crucified, he was buried in a tomb, but that he rose from the dead. And Jesus changed my life. This Jesus who's not dead anymore, who's still alive, who lives in heaven, he changed my life because he forgave my sin. He paid my penalty for me. I thank him for that. That's what he did. That's the gospel story in a nutshell, what Jesus did for us on the cross. Paul said, I I vow to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the story. It's not about religion and denominations and all the theology and, and what the church believes about this and that. It really all focuses on Jesus, what he did on the cross for us. Jesus said, if, my, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That's why we sang that song, the, the flag song. I raise the white flag, but it lifts high the cross, lifted high, lifted high, lift high the cross. Uh, I don't want people to look at me that I'm the answer for everything, but Jesus is. Jesus truly is. And then we look at their story. And we listen. Tell me your story. Where are you? What's happening in your life? Where, where are you hurting? How do you deal with the issues and the pain within your life? It may require a lot of questions. It may require a lot of sensitivity. You might get shocked at something. What if someone opens up to you and says, you know what? I've got a real problem. I've actually got two other relationships going on outside my marriage. And... Are you going to be shocked? Are you going to be offended? Someone may say, you know, I'm into uh, drugs. I sell drugs on the side. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I do to make extra money. You know, how we react may either continue to open up the door or close the door. You know, I I don't get shocked and offended really by anything anymore. And the reason is because we're all sinners. I need grace just like they need grace. My sin is awful before God just like their sin is awful before God. But God can forgive. But you know, here's what I believe. I truly believe that whatever their story is, Jesus can make it better. This is so critical because when you worry about, I don't know if I should share Jesus and and mess up their life. They seem pretty happy without it. They have their own religion. Why should I go about messing up their life? I'm absolutely convinced that, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And either Jesus was a liar, which means we shouldn't trust him, or Jesus was true. I believe Jesus was true. I see, the, I see the evidence of it. I see everything back, backing that truth up. And I was hearing a man the other day talk about when he goes to, to his doctor and, the, and he needs to have surgery, he doesn't want a doctor that's going to um, try to figure it out with me. He wants a doctor who can speak with authority to that issue. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into surgery. We're going we're to remove this. And we're going to treat it this way. And you go, yes, doc, I'm going to submit to that. That's what I want. When you get on an airplane... Do you want an airline pilot sitting in that front seat who's going to kind of figure it out as you go? Or do you want someone who, know, who, who has the confidence that, yes, we're going to get you to that place safely on time. I want to, I want to fly with that guy. I, I believe that when you share your faith, that, that it sure helps a lot to be so convinced in your own mind that Jesus really is the answer to every human problem. 
that Jesus truly is the solution people are desperately looking for, whether they know it or not. And that Jesus truly is that missing piece that if they have him in their life, whatever quality of life they're living now will be so much better because Jesus is a part of it. I believe that. And so I have, I, I'm not shy at all of telling people, you need Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we have that confidence. Paul said, I am convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. That Jesus died for everyone, and because of our sins, we've all died, but he was raised for us. And and as you share your faith, you may feel a frustration of, well, pastor, I tried, it didn't work. It just didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? Well, that person didn't give their life to Jesus. I I couldn't say a prayer with them. Do you know what? Just give yourself a little space. You may be wearing a a different hat at different times. You may be playing a different role If you look at like how seeds work, sometimes we're preparing the soil. Sometimes we're just creating an environment where people are more open. You might be the person that says, hey, I'm going to, would you come to church with me? You're just getting them in a place where they can, where their hearts can be open to it. Some of you will be in a place where you can actually plant seed. You can tell the story of Jesus. You can, you can direct people more pointedly through scriptures Some of you may be in the place where you're watering it, where you can help answer people's questions and guide them further along as they're trying to process all this. And some of you will be in the position where you actually get to harvest. And I love the fact that I get to be in that position a lot. People come forward at church and they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus or I'm ready to be baptized. And I get to participate in the harvest time. But other people, probably dozens of people, have prepared and planted and watered well before the harvest. And you just need to be content. I fulfilled my role. My role isn't to save people. My role is to testify about Jesus. Only he can save people. But let's be faithful with sharing Jesus with others. What motivates us to do this? Paul said, for the love of Christ compels us. Uh, You know, I heard years ago something that I believe is so true, that as you grow in worship and love for God, your arms arms just kind of go like this in worship. And you're worshiping God, and you're saying, God, I love you, and God, I'm all yours. But if you just move your glance from heaven this way, I think that's exactly how God wants us to be toward this world that he loves. That I have an embrace for the world. I have a love for people different than me, different socially, different um, ethnically, different in age, different backgrounds, but I love them all. I love good people. I love bad people. My love's grown wider because God's love is so great. Between services, quite often, I like to hang out in the foyer and watch people as they come in, and especially the people that come late, because oftentimes people that are new to church come in late, and they wander in, and they're confused, and they look around, and they don't know where to go. Quite often, um, they just want to kind of sneak in the service, but I like being by the door to welcome them, to bring them in, and it reminded me of a poem by a pastor named Samuel Shoemaker. It was a poem called, I Stand at the Door. And he talked about this door that people go through in order to find God and how we have the opportunity to go through that door ourselves. But the danger is we can go so far inside the door that we lose a connection with the people outside. And so he said, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. But as for me, I shall take my old accustomed place 
near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not far from men as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. Jesus is the door. And you and I have an opportunity to stand by that door that's been cut in the wall. To go in sometimes and experience a time of worship, but then to go back and stand by the door. Say, you know what? You, you are invited in too. You're welcome. The same Jesus that loves me, loves you. Now, I don't know your circle and your little world, your neighborhood, your work environment, your school, the social circles you run with, but I'll tell you this. I envy some of you because you get to be around people that need Jesus. I get to hang out with our staff. Now, they love Jesus, but you know, I love being out where people don't know Jesus, who are hungry, who are thirsting for something greater. And we can cry out and say, God, what about all these lost people in the world? Aren't you going to do something? And he says, I made you, and I placed you in a position to reach the people around you. So let me ask you this. Are you praying for those opportunities, praying for courage, praying for the right words? When God presents opportunities, are you seizing those opportunities? Are you opening up your mouth, having those conversations that lead people to Jesus? Jesus is the way. I want to ask if you'd stand right now with me. I want you to think of those, those persons that God's put in your life that maybe you've ignored or maybe you felt, felt they put a wall up. I want you to think of them. And when we sing this song, recognize that Jesus died for them. But I also want to appeal to those that are here today. Some of you are new to this church. Some of you have been coming for a few months. And God's been breaking down walls. And today he's swinging open a door to you for you to come in. Jesus died on the cross for you to forgive you. I don't know your story. I'd love to hear your story, but I don't know it. But I do know this. Jesus loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever imagine. And he wants you to know that his love is here for you today. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners, our elders and staff to be available up front here as we sing this song about the only one that loves you enough that he gave his life for you. That you'll come up, that you'll say today, I believe in Jesus. And today surrender to him. Maybe today's your day to be baptized like that girl. But today is the day that he's speaking to you to walk through the door, to encounter Jesus for the first time. So come as we sing. We're here to talk with you. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.